This is a production of Cornell University. For Cornell University's world-renowned turfgrass program, I'm Frank Rossi. Carl Scamenti is away this week, and this is the Turf Talk podcast for July 16, 2018, brought to you in partnership with our friends at Winfield United. Turf Talk provides just-in-time science-based recommendations for professional turf grass managers in the New York Northeast. And this week, we'll have a conversation with our pal at Rutgers University, Rich Buckley. Rich, thanks for taking the time to join me from the Plant Diagnostic Lab at Rutgers University. How you doing? Oh, very good, Frank. It's always a pleasure to talk to you about uh, dead grass. <laughs> I know, because it's when it's dying that, that you're busy the most. And so let's get right at it, Rich. It looked like uh, a slow start to the season, uh, cool, wet, but but a big uh, difference between where you are in central southern Jersey uh, and north of that. So south of you was wet in the spring and cold, what kinds of things did you see to get the season started? Well, uh, you know, it certainly is a tale of two cities, wet to the south and drier to the north. Um, we had uh, abundant rainfall uh, from central Jersey southward. Um, and if, by some accounts, you know, as much as 22 inches in April and May down here. So, so uh, uh, because of that, you know, because of the, the, the high moisture levels in the root zones, we saw a huge amount of pythium coming out of the winter. You know, the root-infecting pythiums mm-hmm. and super-saturated soils uh, do a real good job, uh, uh, you know, under those conditions. Even and, though and it's really long- cool. Even though it's really it, cool. Well, we've long known, you know, and it goes back to research from Eric Nelson and, uh, you know, in the early 90s, that uh, a lot of the pythium species are not necessarily temperature dependent. You know, uh, they'll do damage in the root zone at low temperatures, you know, as low as 40, you know, to 50 degree Fahrenheit range. You know, it's pythium blight that depends on the higher temperatures, you know, to get the fungus to grow up onto the foliage. Okay, so, so, you know, so, so now, you know, I've been talking to you, uh, uh, you know, every week now for the last 14 weeks, we have our little conference call. And now it looks like uh, for where we are, uh, pythium root rot and even pythium blight are big problems. Um, is this a matter of the inoculum building up so intensely in the spring, Rich, that now as the temperatures ramp up, the, the foot's on the pedal? Well, my, yeah, my feeling is when we have a suitable soil condition... You know, you get a lot of compromised roots. I mean, you're losing roots because it's wet anyway. You're losing roots to the pathogen. You have a condition that favors another pathogen like uh, Magnaporthy that causes summer patch. Mm-hmm. And we've, we, we move into the heat stress period, and those plants with compromised roots start to fail under the conditions, you know, under the pressure, the higher ET rates and, and, and the heat stress. And so, uh, you know, you're, you're, seeing, you're seeing plants fail, you know, uh, that, that were actually damaged weeks ago. And, and sitting, in, sitting in soils that are moist enough that they should be thriving, and yet uh, the demand, especially, you know, lately, 
the ET has been so dramatic uh, lately throughout the Northeast that the demand on those routes is even greater. So I guess the question naturally arises, um, is there a way to spray yourself out of this, Rich? I mean, I mean, obviously, <laughs> okay, yeah. so let's go well, with that. I, I, uh, that's right, because it reminds me of a slide I have of a, of a root zone that's black. And it, and it says, you know, you can't spray this away. You know, I mean, you, you, can, you can prevent pythium blight, right? You can, you know, and we all know how to model and prevent pythium blight. But, you know, once the roots are beat, you know, it, it's just a matter of hanging on until you can recover uh, adequate root biomass. And that's going to mean, you know, soil temperatures dropping and, and plants starting to regrow. Uh, and, and so, you know... And, and well, and therein lies the rub, right? Because soils right now, as we talk in the middle of July, uh, soils right now are well into the 80s, and especially as warm as they've been, uh, as you know, as 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 uh, dry or wet as they've been, uh, they've been getting into the 80s easily. So you're not getting any recovery, even if you spray. Maybe you're halting damage. But now you've got foliar issues, right? We're starting to a couple of suspicious gray leaf spot samples, pythium blight samples. I know I've heard you talk about secondary pathogens like curvularia. What's going on on the leaf end of this whole deal? Well, well, first of all, the the, the gray leaf spots always a concern, and from here forward, we ought to be looking for it, right? Uh, uh, I'll tell you on the on the turf plots at Rutgers. Uh, we don't have it yet. Dr. Clark is in my lab every day looking at his pythium blight trials to make sure it's not gray leaf spot over top because he uses seedling ryegrass to, to uh, uh, evaluate the fungicides for pythium blight. Mm-hmm. And so we don't see it yet, but that's something to keep in mind. Um, dollar spot and brown patch, of course, are issues um, all the time. Uh, uh, and then the, the, the junk fungi, uh, Leptospherulina, mm-hmm. curvularia. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you start getting puddles and heat stress and scalping and all the associated uh, uh, abiotic issues, right. you know, particularly in fairways, and then you get those junk fungi on top. It, it, you know, if I send you a report that says you have curvularia, yeah. it's, a, it's a nice way of me saying, dude, what'd you do to it? Yes, <laughs> right. <It's> a, <laughs> and, and I guess the one, you know, the 800-pound gorilla that has really dominated the discussion, especially from the, the guys researching with you, Murph and, and, and Bruce, all these years, uh, is anthracnose. And I imagine that's sort of the steady pulse that you get in there. I imagine in many cases you're able to find that on a lot of samples. Well, we see it. We see it. Uh, we saw it a lot early. You know, some of these overwintering crown infections, and then we see it steadily throughout the throughout the year on, on you know largely on compromised areas. You know, older greens, lower budgets, lots of traffic. You know, uh, uh, poor infrastructure, and, and and you know that sort of thing. We also see anthracnose on top of uh, samples with like pythium root diseases or on top of like take all or uh, uh, summer patch. Right. So it's, it, yeah, it, it, it's a, con- it's constantly there. Okay. So, way. so we, I don't know that we'd rank this with your record sample years. I've been around uh, for some of them. Uh, we're midway through 
Uh, and it doesn't look like these conditions are going to wane anytime soon. A little rain passed through recently that might help some dry areas. But as you mentioned, to the south, they've been super saturated uh, for much of the season. So what does this bode for moving forward, not just uh, for golf guys, but even lawn and landscape guys? W- w- with all this stress in the system, uh, with plentiful moisture in most cases, uh, what can we expect moving forward? Well, I, you know, I, again, I, I'd be if I was growing ryegrass, I'd be looking for gray leaf spots, plenty of plenty of moisture to drive drive that disease. Um, you know, you're also going to see guys starting to seed some of the dead areas in another, you know, three or four weeks. And seedling ryegrass is a problem there. Um, we also will continue to see turf grass fail with compromised root systems. Mm-hmm. We almost always get a spike of summer patch in late August as the fungicide protocols start to wear off. Mm-hmm. You know, as long as the, the, the heat temperature stress, and this morning at my house it was 78 degrees yeah. at 5 o'clock. So as long as we have the heat stress in the system, mm-hmm. you'll see plants continue to fail. And so it's kind of a... Uh, uh, Hang on for your life uh, until we can <laughs> until well, we can seed and and grow out of it. And so, what about the guys? As I mentioned earlier, what about the guys that aren't cutting grass uh, less than a half an inch? The lawn and landscape and the sports turf or the sod guys are are they struggling as much as the close cut guys? Uh, to a certain degree, they are. I mean, you know, uh, uh, there's a lot of pressure on the lawn and landscape guys to maintain you know, their, their mowing schedule, you know, when it's, when it's 90 degrees or if, if it's wet from a, from a downpour and they mow, um, more often than not, they do damage. So I, I'm seeing a lot of that kind of damage. And then, you know, we get broadleaf weeds, we get more crabgrass. We got, we got all kinds of, uh, uh, secondary kind of problems for them. Um, mostly because they, they, they that the pressure to maintain That's the right. turf, is so high. Yeah, and and I would imagine in the sports world, if they don't have camps, a lot of those guys are gearing up for uh, another month when practices will begin. So that's when we worry the most about the gray leaf spot and the seedling. So we'll want to be sure we keep track of Shortcut, uh, your diagnostic clinic uh, newsletter, uh, and all the information you guys put out of Rutgers because a lot of guys will be throwing that ryegrass seed trying to get ready for the sports fields uh, practice for mid-August. And that's when we worry the most, as I've learned from you, and Oftentimes, and correct me if I'm wrong, Rich, as I get you out of here, uh, are the varietals uh, resistance expressed as seedlings or are all seedlings susceptible? Ah, (laughs) someone's going to be mad no matter what I say about it. You know, the the resistance is good, put it that way. Um, Seedlings are more susceptible even if they're resistant varieties. That's another thing. Remember, uh, one thing I always try to remind people is that resistance isn't immunity. It's not absolute, you know? Uh, uh, so what we like to see guys do is, is blend, uh, resistant varieties. And a lot of the, you know, we, Brad Park and I, uh, surveyed some of the local seed, uh, distributors here and they all have blends of resistant varieties. So if if one of them breaks down in, in the process, you know, you have two that are going to, that are going to hold up. So, so, uh, to protect yourself against a, a, a seedling failure, you know, that, that's, a, that's an excellent strategy to, to blend different varieties. 
Rich Buckley, director of the Plant Diagnostic Laboratory, Rutgers University, uh, degenerate like myself, Yankee fan, and uh, we'll part ways at the dead. Thanks yes, for <laughs> Thanks for joining me, Rich. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Frank. All right. Thank you for listening to the episode number 13 of our 2018 Turf Talk podcast series brought to you just in time by Cornell University in partnership with our friends at Winfield Unite. You can find your land-grant scientists of the Cornell Turfgrass Program at turf.cals.cornell.edu or on Twitter and Facebook at Cornell Turfgrass. We'd love your feedback. Listen and subscribe to this podcast at Google Play, Stitcher, and iTunes. And if you listen through iTunes, leave us a review. Again, for Carl Scamenti, I'm Frank Rossi. Have a great week. This has been a production of Cornell University. On the web at cornell.edu.